American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about the first Thanksgiving in these United States. You mean the first holy sacrifice of the Mass offered on this continent way back in 1513 when Ponce de Leon came ashore down in Florida? No. Well, that was certainly the first recorded instance of the ultimate Thanksgiving happening here on these shores. We're talking about the event that gave rise to the national holiday. Okay, so that first harvest meal shared by the Calvinist Puritan pilgrims and their pagan native friends in November of 1621, 108 years later. That's the one. Well, a meal shared by Calvinists and pagans doesn't sound very Catholic. You're right, not at first blush. But, as we'll discuss, the first Thanksgiving would likely not have happened had it not been for some Spanish Franciscans and one particular Native American who had been kidnapped into slavery. Now you're talking about Squanto. Squanto, yep. Lots of narratives about Thanksgiving and the plight of the pilgrims include the story of Squanto, the helpful native, and some Catholic sources highlight the fact that Squanto was baptized Catholic. But there's more to the story than that, of course. Of course. So let's start with Squanto. Right, Squanto. Squanto was a member of the Patuxet tribe, which was not a large tribe, apparently, and its settlement was on the western shore of Cape Cod Bay. Really, nothing is known of Squanto's life until about 1614, when he was in his late 20s or 30s, they estimate. At that point, he was one of about 20 members of his tribe who were kidnapped into slavery. That happened this way. So John Smith, Yes, Pocahontas' John Smith, had gone back to England in 1609 after learning how to paint with all the colors of the wind and being severely injured in battle. In 1614, he led a new expedition of two ships back to the New World to sail along the coast of Maine and Massachusetts. They spent most of their time fishing, and they did a bit of trading with the natives along the coast. When Smith was satisfied with his haul, he departed for England, but he left the second ship under the command of Thomas Hunt. Hunt had a different destination. He was heading to Malaga, Spain, and he decided to make his haul more lucrative. He's the one who lured about 20 natives onto his boat under the pretext of wanting to engage in some trading. After getting the 20 on board, they subdued them and sailed away. So Squanto and his fellow natives found themselves on the way to Spain to be sold into slavery, but there was something different waiting for them in Spain. Exactly. Once in Spain, Hunt managed to sell a few of the natives into slavery until some Franciscans discovered what was going on. Some accounts say simply that the Franciscans rescued the remaining natives from slavery. Others say that the Franciscans actually purchased the remaining natives. Either way, the Franciscans took responsibility for and possession of, insofar as possession was what they were trying to do, Squanto and some of the other Native Americans. The Franciscans had no intention of owning the natives, but they also didn't just release them into the population. They instructed the natives in the Catholic faith, baptized them, and gave them the ability to function in society at some basic level. This is something most don't realize. Many Spanish religious, both Franciscans and Dominicans, were opposed to chattel slavery right from the start. Some very prominent ones, including the Dominican Bartolomé de las Casas, took part in the Valladolid debate, arguing that the natives were most 
definitely fully human and in possession of all the dignities and rights of any man. Las Casas was for a time Bishop of Chiapas in Mexico, where he agitated against slavery and actually refused absolution to any slave owners who had not freed all of their slaves. So before any slaves were brought over to the Americas in 1619, prominent Catholics were already opposed to slavery internationally. So it's not at all surprising that some Franciscans in Spain intervened in this manner on behalf of Squanto and his fellow captives. No, not at all. So after being with the Spanish Franciscans for a time, perhaps a few years, Squanto ended up in England where he caught a boat back to the New World, arriving in Newfoundland. In 1619, Squanto convinced one particular English adventurer named Dermer that he could make his fortune down in New England, and together they sailed down the coast, arriving in Squanto's Patuxent village in late 1619. But the worst had happened. When Squanto returned to his village for the first time since being kidnapped five years earlier, all were gone. An epidemic, likely a disease brought by the English to which the natives had no immunoresistance, had wiped out his entire village. Squanto was the last of the Patuxent. Squanto and Dermer moved on to Namaskid, which was a village of a tribe friendly to his own, and there they found shelter. Squanto continued on further to meet with the main chief, Massasoit. Massasoit would end up figuring largely in a number of interactions between Squanto and the English. Right. The first instance was shortly after this first meeting. Massasoit had recently suffered the loss of a band of warriors who had been ambushed and slaughtered by some English who had come along the coast. Massasoit was eager for vengeance. So when he heard that there was an Englishman within reach, Dermer, he set off to exact revenge upon him. Squanto only barely managed to convince Massasoit to spare Dermer's life. Of that incident, Dermer wrote, Squanto cannot deny, but they would have killed me when I was in Namask had he not entreated hard for me. The subsequent instances of Massasoit engaging with the English were not far off, and they form the bulk of the narrative about Squanto and the Pilgrims. Yes, in November of 1620, the Pilgrims arrived in Cape Cod Bay. Those whom we know as the Pilgrims were Calvinist Puritan separatists who experienced persecution in England because they rejected the theological claims of the Church of England. Funny how heresy begets heresy. I know, right? They had fled England and settled in Amsterdam, but they saw their kids becoming too much like the Dutch. So they decided that they had to get even further away to where they could truly practice their Puritan faith. In mid-1620, they determined to sail to the New World, and they received letters patent to establish a colony in New Holland, which was centered on the mouth of the Hudson River. They arranged to purchase two ships, all the provisions they would need, and they were prepared to embark on the voyage in mid-July of 1620, which would have put them in the New World in mid-September. Which is a fine time to establish a home base on land in New England, just in time to catch the leaves changing. <laughs> they were the first leaf peepers. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> Alas, they would have to wait a full year to experience the glory of a New England autumn. A number of delays meant they couldn't begin the voyage until mid-September of 1620. Also, they had to leave one of the ships behind, so more people had to crowd onto the already crowded Mayflower. This late departure also guaranteed they would be forced to spend the first winter entirely aboard ship. But that wasn't the end of their trials. When they finally spotted land, it was mid-November, and the land was Cape Cod. They still had a few days' journey to make it to the Hudson, but their provisions were failing and the winter weather was bitter. So they decided to sail into the safety of the harbors of Cape Cod Bay rather than try to make it to the Hudson. The first place to go ashore was at the very tip of Cape Cod, near modern-day Provincetown, Massachusetts. 
But going ashore here had a few problems. First, some of the pilgrims thought it was wrong for the group to assume the right to establish a colony and a governing structure in a place where they hadn't been granted the legal authority to do so. After all, their letters patent gave them rights in New Holland. This was New England. So they decided to draft a governing document of their own, and that was the Mayflower Compact. The Mayflower Compact established how their new colony would be run, that laws would be fair and equally applied, and that all would agree to abide by them. This agreement allayed the concerns of those who still weren't sure. The second reason settling at Provincetown was a problem was the natives who already occupied that land. When the pilgrims went ashore, they disturbed an Indian burial site and came upon a buried store of corn and took it. Eventually, their first contact with the natives turned into a skirmish, and the pilgrims fired on the natives before hurrying back to the Mayflower. They decided this may not be the best place to try to set up shop. Yeah, probably not. Stealing the neighbor's corn, digging up granny, and then shooting at them isn't the best way to endear yourself to your new neighbors. No. So they set sail across Cape Cod Bay for what John Smith had named Plymouth Harbor. And by a twist of fate, they found and settled in the site of the empty Patuxet village where Squanto had grown up. In mid-December 1620, they chose this site, thus establishing the Plymouth Colony. The pilgrims set about building a few houses that winter as best they could in the harsh conditions. Most everyone had to stay on the boat. Only a few workers were able to go ashore, with 20 remaining on shore to act as security for the ongoing construction. By the end of the winter, they only had a handful of houses and an emplacement for their cannon. But unfortunately, they didn't need as much housing as before. Over the course of the winter, 45 of the 102 pilgrims had died from malnourishment, exposure, and disease. In March 1621, more of the pilgrims began to come ashore to begin living and working. For most of them, this was the first time they'd been off the Mayflower in six months. I cannot imagine being on a ship in those harsh conditions for six months. Yeah, seriously. I can't stand it when it's 64 in our house. (laughs) Man, first world problems. By this point, there had been a few interactions with natives, none of them particularly friendly, but the pilgrims had built up enough of a defensive posture that they could hold their own. Then suddenly, on March 16th, a native warrior wearing nothing but a leather loincloth marched boldly right into the midst of them and said in English, Welcome, Englishman. Squanto. Well, no, his English wasn't quite that good. This was Samoset. Samoset was from further up the coast in Maine, where he had had lots of engagement with English fishermen and apparently shared a pint or two. But they weren't quite sure what his intentions were until he asked his next question. He asked for beer. Of course he did. So they knew he meant no harm. Samoset spent the day with them. His English wasn't great, but it was good enough. He told them about the Patuxet who had occupied that particular village and who had been wiped out by an epidemic. He told them about Chief Massasoit and he told them about Squanto. He said he would set up a meeting with Massasoit and Squanto, and then he left after spending the night at Plymouth. But Massasoit and Squanto were not so sure they wanted to parley with the English. No. Massasoit hadn't gotten over the slaughter of his warriors, and Squanto, of course, had himself been abducted. But Samoset prevailed upon them. He and Squanto, with a delegation from Massasoit, returned to the pilgrims on March 22nd, with Massasoit himself joining them later that day. It was a very successful meeting. Squanto, as the one with the best command of the languages and customs of both sides, quickly became the mediator and translator. Through Squanto's help, Massasoit and the pilgrims established a peace treaty and a mutual aid pact, which included terms for trading goods. 
Squanto quickly took to the Pilgrims, and especially the future governor, William Bradford, and Squanto took up residence among the Pilgrims. So, living again in his own native village. Right. And we have no way of knowing this, but I'm sure his desire to see peace prevail on the land of his own people played a role. Probably. Through that spring and summer, Squanto aided the pilgrims in learning the farming, hunting, and trapping techniques which had served the native tribes so well. One of the very first things he did was the very next day after that peace treaty was signed when he showed them how to tread eels. Tread eels? Yes. Essentially, in a low creek bed, you tread through the mud, kicking up the eels that are bedding down beneath the surface of the mud. Ugh. <laughs> Hey, if you're starving, it would look like ambrosia. No, it wouldn't. I, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> well, that's basically the choice they had, because many of the seeds that the pilgrims brought with them from Europe simply failed on the New England soil and climate. Right. Northern Europe is a bit warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer than New England, so crops aren't one for one. Squanto also continued to serve as a mediator and diplomat to prevent many more confrontations with area tribes. There was even a time when Squanto was captured by a rival faction within the tribes who didn't like the pilgrims and didn't appreciate the aid Squanto was giving them. The pilgrims went out and rescued Squanto and made it clear to the rival faction that they were able to defend themselves. That first summer went surprisingly well for the pilgrims, thanks to Squanto. There were other tensions and parleys with rival tribes, but nothing calamitous. As the fall arrived, the pilgrims were ready to celebrate a bountiful harvest. One of the leaders of the pilgrims, Edward Winslow, wrote that after the harvest was completed and a tremendous store of fish and turkey and venison had been gathered for the winter, they sent out an additional hunting party to harvest some turkey, quote, so we might, after a more special manner, rejoice together after we had gathered the fruits of our labors. This feast, which the pilgrims held, was attended by Massasoit and 90 of his men. They made a gift of three deer to the pilgrims. Man, we usually just bring a side dish and a bottle of wine to Thanksgiving dinner. That's quite a precedent they set. Don't get any ideas. Winslow closed out the narrative of this first harvest meal, which he had sent back to the, his friends in England with, We are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. Squanto would stay with the pilgrims and continue aiding them until his sudden death from an unknown illness one year later in November 1622. As he was dying, he asked his friend William Bradford to pray to the English God for him. The pilgrims viewed his death as a great loss, but they were able to limp along without him only because of the many things he had taught them and done for them. The Plymouth colony flourished, eventually covering all of southeast Massachusetts until it was ended in the 1690s. The holiday of Thanksgiving evolved over the years from a national day of prayer and Thanksgiving, which the president established for a particular year by decree from time to time, until President Lincoln in 1863 made it more formal. It has been celebrated annually ever since. But none of it would have been possible without the Spanish Franciscans and the native called Squanto, whom they saved from slavery. So, when you are saying your grace at Thanksgiving, maybe offer a prayer of thanks for those Franciscans and their anti-slavery actions, and a prayer for the soul of the Catholic Native American who saved the Plymouth colonists and made Thanksgiving possible. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review and support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com slash give.
To learn more about Squanto and how Catholic opposition to slavery helped save Thanksgiving, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimage to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, please visit sqpn.com history. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest. Quest.